Section 16 of Supermind by Randall Garrett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13. There was, of course, only one thing to do, and only one place to go. Malone went downstairs without even stopping to wave farewell to the agent in charge, and climbed into the big, specially built FBI Lincoln that waited for him. Want a driver? one of the mechanics asked. No thanks, Malone said. This one's a solo job. That was for sure. He drove out onto the streets and into the heavy late afternoon traffic of Washington, D.C. The Lincoln handled smoothly, but Malone didn't press his luck among the rushing cars. He wasn't in any hurry. He had all the time in the world, and he knew it. They, and for once Malone knew just who they were, would be waiting for him when he got there. If he got there, he thought suddenly, dodging a combination roadblock consisting of a green Plymouth making an illegal turn, a fourteen-year-old boy on a bicycle, and a sweet young girl pushing a baby carriage. He managed to get past and wiped his forehead with one hand. He continued driving even more carefully until he was out of the city. It took quite a lot of time. Washington traffic was getting worse and worse with every passing month, and the pedestrians were as nonchalant as ever. As Malone turned a corner, a familiar face popped into view, practically in front of his car. He swerved and got by without committing homicide, and a cheerful voice said, Thanks, sorry. It's okay, Chester, Malone said. The big man skipped back to the sidewalk and watched the car go by. Malone knew him slightly, a private eye, who did some work on the fringes of Washington crime. Basically a nice guy, but a little too active for Malone's taste. For a second he thought of asking the man to accompany him. But the last thing Malone needed was muscle. What he wanted was brains, and he even thought he might be developing some of those. He was nearly sure of it by the time he finally did leave the city and get out onto the highway that went south into the depths of Virginia and while he drove, he began to use that brain, letting his reflexes take over most of the driving problems now that the Washington traffic tangle was behind him. He took all his thoughts from behind the shield that had sheltered them and arrayed them neatly before him. Everything was perfectly clear. All he had to do now was explain it. Malone had wondered over the years about the detectives in books. They always managed to wrap everything up in the last chapter, and that was all right. But they always had a whole crowd of suspects listening to them, too. And Malone knew perfectly well that he could never manage a setup like that. People would be interrupting him. Things would happen. Dogs would rush in and start a fight on the floor. There would be earthquakes, or else somebody would suddenly faint and interrupt him. But now, at long last, he realized he had his chance. Nobody, he thought happily, could interrupt him, and he could explain to his heart's content. But the members of the PRS were telepathic, and Malone, he thought cheerfully, was not. Somebody, he was sure, would be tuned in on him as he drove toward their Virginia hiding place, and he hoped that that somebody would alert everybody else, so they could all tune in and hear his grand final explanation of everything. And a hearty good afternoon to everybody, he thought, 
a very hearty and happy and sunny good afternoon to all, and most especially to Miss Luba Garbibich. I hope she's the one who's tuned in, or that somebody has alerted her by now, because I'd rather talk to her than anyone else I can think of out there. Nothing personal, you understand. It's just that I like to show off a little. I don't need to hide anything from you. As a matter of plain, simple fact, I can't. Not with my shield down. He paused then, and in his imagination he could almost hear Lou's voice. I'm listening, Kenneth, the voice said. Go on. Well, then, he thought. He fished around in his mind for a second, wondering exactly where to start. Then he decided, in the best traditions of the detective story, not to mention Alice in Wonderland, to start at the beginning. The dear old Psychical Research Society, he thought, had been going along for a good many years now, since the 1880s, as a matter of fact, or somewhere near there. That's a long time and a lot of research. A lot of famous and intelligent men and women have belonged to the society. And in all that time, they've worked hard and worked sincerely in testing every kind of psychic phenomenon. They worked impartially and scientifically to find out whether a given unusual incident was explicable in terms of known natural laws or was the result of some unknown force. And it is hardly surprising that, after about a hundred years of work, something finally came of it. Not surprising at all, he imagined Lou's voice saying, You're making things very clear, Kenneth. Or had that been Sir Kenneth? Malone wasn't sure. But it didn't really matter. He spun the car around a curve in the highway, smiled gently to himself, and went on. Naturally, to the average man in the street, the society was just a bunch of crackpots, and the more respected and famous the people who belonged to it, the happier he was. It just proved his superiority to them. He didn't deal with crackpot notions, did he? No, the society did, and nobody except the members paid much attention to what was going on. I remember one of the book's facsimiles you gave me, for instance. Some man, whose name I can't recall, wrote a great expose of the society in which he tried to prove that Sir Lewis Carter and certain other members were trying to take over the world and run it to suit themselves, making a sort of horrible dictatorship out of their power and position. At that, he wasn't really far from the truth, though he had it turned around a little. But the book shows that he has no knowledge whatever of what psionics is or how it works. He seems to me to be just a little afraid of it, which probably adds to his ignorance. And as a result, he got a twisted idea of what the PRS is actually doing. He could almost hear Lou's voice again. Yes, she was saying, I remember the book. It was put on our reference library for its humorous aspects. That's right, Malone thought. It would be only funny to you. But it would be frightening and terrible to an awful lot of people simply because they wouldn't understand what the society was all about. All right, Lou's voice said helpfully. And what is it all about? Malone settled back in the driver's seat as the car continued to spin along the road. It seems to me, he thought carefully, that any telepath has to go one of two ways either like Her Majesty, or the others we found when we discovered her two years ago. The telepath ends up insane, or perhaps commits suicide, 
which is simply one step further in retreat, or else he learns to understand and control his own powers, and to understand other human beings so well that, if he actually did control the world, everyone would benefit in the long run. The difference between the two kinds is the difference between Her Majesty and the PRS. That's good thinking, he could hear Lou say. No, it isn't, he thought. It's no more than guessing, and it could be just as wild as you please. But there's one thing I do know. The way to get a better world, or anyhow the first step, is to clear the road ahead. And that means getting rid of the fools, idiots, maniacs, blockheads, morons, psychopaths, paranoids, timidity-ridden fear-worshippers, fanatics, thieves, criminals, and a whole lot more. Get rid of them, Lou's voice said. Well, Malone thought, I don't mean they've got to be killed or driven out of the civilized world. You've just got to get them out of any place where their influence is heavily felt on society as a whole. All right, Lou's voice said pleasantly, and how could we go about that? Do we write nasty letters to the editor? There's a much more effective way, Malone thought. There's no trouble in getting rid of a man if you can make him expose himself. And you've managed that pretty well. You've thwarted their idiotic plans, made them stumble over their own fumble-mindedness, played on their neuroses, concocted errors for them to fight, and, in general, rigged things in any possible way so that they'd quit, get fired, or lose elections, or get arrested, or just generally get put out of circulation somehow. It's extremely effective, and it works very well. Sometimes you've only had to put the blocks to individuals. Sometimes whole nations have had to go. And sometimes it's been in between. And you've managed to foul up whole organizations with misplaced papers, missent messages, error, and changed minds, and everything else you can think of. As a matter of fact, it sounds like fun. Well, he imagined Lou saying, it's fun, in a way, but it's a deadly serious business, too. Sure it is, Malone thought. I think the first time that came home to me was when I saw what was happening in Russia and compared it to what had been going on over here. Tom Boyd saw that, too, when I pointed it out to him, as you probably know if you were spying on my mind at the time. Not that I mind that in the least. Come more often, by all means. But Tom, in case you weren't listening, said, Over here, there are a lot of confused jerks and idiots, and in Russia, there's a lot of confusion. Now that's perfectly true, and it spells out the difference. Over here, you've been confusing the jerks and the idiots, getting rid of them so the system can work properly. Over in Russia, on the other hand, you've left the jerks and idiots all alone to do their dirty work, and you've just added to the confusion where necessary so that the system will break down of its own weight. But after all, Lou said, things look pretty bad over here, too. Look at the papers. Everybody, Malone thought, has been telling me to go and look at the newspapers, and when I do look at them, I find all sorts of evidence of confusion. Teachers resigning, senators and representatives goofing up bills on Congress, Gang wars cluttering up the streets with cadavers and making things tough for the sanitation department. Factional fights in various organizations. Now, all of that looks pretty horrible in the papers. But do you know something? It isn't horrible at all. 
It's pretty damn good. As a matter of fact, the teachers who are resigning, for instance, are the nincompoops who've got to be pruned out so that competent teachers can come in. And with the higher salaries, more and more competent men and women are going to be attracted to the job. The universities are going to be freer and better places to work in. They won't be monopolies anymore. Monopolies, Lou said. In restraint of knowledge, Malone thought. The old monopoly was in restraint of trade, and legal action helped to kill that kind. The monopoly in restraint of knowledge took a little more killing, but you're doing the job quite nicely, and not only in the schools. The factional fights are having the same result. Look at the AAAM, for instance. That organization is a monopoly pure and simple. Simple, anyhow. And what the factional fights are doing is just plain breaking up the monopoly and letting knowledge free again. And then we come to Congress. Senators and representatives are having a terrible time, some of them. There's a fight going on between Furbisher and Deeks because Deeks has discovered some evidence against Furbisher. Who's having the terrible time? All of them. Nope. Furbisher is. Deeks isn't. And that's the way it's going all over. The useful necessary legislation is going through Congress now without being cluttered up by stupid dam bills and water bills and other idiocies that simply clog the works. And then, of course, there are the gang wars. Now I feel as sorry for the sanitation department as anybody, but at least they're cleaning the streets for good now. The boys who are dying off and getting sent to hospitals and jails are just the ones who should have been sent away long ago. Everybody knows that, but nobody can prove it. Except the PRS. And the PRS is busy doing just what it can about that proof. And all it takes is a few of you. I don't know how many. I don't know how many of you there really are, for that matter. But it must be a fair number to stock all your branches with top-level executives and lower-level men and women who really believe in the PRS blind and do their best to keep it working. There are probably a lot of ways it might work, but the simplest and best way I can think of is this one. There's a clearinghouse sort of set up, and information comes in from various telepathic spies working for the PRS about various projected activities of the imbecile contingent. And from this information, you figure out the best time and place for lightning to strike, and you select the kind of lightning it's going to be. Here it's a misplaced letter, there are some facts that aren't facts, and somewhere else a dropped package of secret records. Somebody goofs and is exposed. Maybe it works on the local organization level. Maybe there are teams all over the country, all ready to synchronize their minds and jab somebody in the thought processes at just the right time, in just the right way, as soon as they get the word. That's one way of doing it, maybe the best way. There are others, but it doesn't really matter how that end of it works. The important thing is that it does work. And when it works, it can certainly create quite a mess. Yes, sirree, Bob, or Lou, as the case may be. I sure hope somebody's picking all this up, because I'd hate to have to explain it again when I get there. Are you there, anybody? Malone imagined he heard Lou's voice. Yes, Ken, she said. Yes, I'm here. But of course there was no way for them 
to get through to him. They were telepathic, but Kenneth J. Malone wasn't, he told himself sadly. Hello out there, he thought. I hope you've been listening so far, because there isn't going to be too much more. But there are a couple of things that still need to be cleared up. I've got some answers, but there are others I'm going to need. There's Russia, for instance. It does seem to me as if your teams in Russia, whatever they're calling themselves, are having a lot more fun than the U.S. teams. For one thing, I think they've got an easier job. In this country, the teams are looking for ways to get rid of the blockheads, and there are a lot of them. In Russia, you don't have to get rid of the blockheads. All you have to do is clear the road for them, and you can do that by fouling up the more intelligent people. Intelligent people, he could hear Lou say. Intelligence doesn't mean good sense, Malone thought. I don't doubt that the men who are maintaining Russia's power are intelligent men. But what they are doing is bad for the world as a whole, in the long run. So you foul them up and leave the blockheads a clear field to run the country into the ground. And that's easier than fouling up the blockheads. Sure it is. There are fewer intelligent, active people around than there are blockheads. Always were, and maybe there always will be, but not if the PRS can help it. Oh, and by the way, Malone thought, you do know how I spotted you, don't you? You were tuned in then, weren't you? And I just don't mean Lou, I mean all of you. In a world of blind men, the man who can see stands out. In a world of the insane, the sane man stands out. And in a world where organizations are regularly being confused and fouled up, either as whole organizations or through your attempts to get rid of individual members, a smooth-running, efficient organization stands out like a sore thumb. Frankly, it took me longer to see it than it should have. But I've got the answer at last, the main answer. Though, as I say, there are some others I'd like to have like, for instance, Russia, and exactly what did happen that night in Moscow. End of chapter 13